But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15, NIV Translation. Welcome to the Defender's Digest. Good morning, Defenders. Happy Monday. It is so great to be back in your earbuds once again, doing as we do every week by starting out with a dedicational, motivational, inspirational conversation where we look up towards God as we look forward towards our week. And I am so glad to be here with you once again. Guys, today I have a very, very exciting conversation that I want to have with you. This is at the heart of so many of my deepest passions and interests. Um, I, if, if you don't know this, if you're not aware of this, a lot of the things that I talk about on this podcast are what you would call um, moral ontology. It's the existence of moral truths. And this is something that I find to be, um, well, I, I've been saying recently, and I say this with an open hand, I'm not positive about it just yet, but I'm becoming more confident that uh, this is the second most important conversation that could ever be had. Um, and I say the most important conversation, of course, is the conversation of who is Jesus Christ and why does that matter? Uh, but then the second most important conversation is given the truth of the universe, what should we be doing? How should we live our lives? What action should we take? And I think that's the realm of moral ontology. And within that, I'm deeply fascinated by the power. And you know this because I talk about stories quite a bit. I'm deeply fascinated by the power of stories in our lives, by the impact that they have on us. And so I'm very excited to be able to come to you today with something that I discovered very recently. Um, I found a article, a writing from uh, Craig J. Hazen. Hazen, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. And um, it just absolutely captivated me because it brought together so many things that I just realize is true and that I'm passionate about. So, um, what I'm going to do today is have a conversation with you. Uh, I, I titled this episode a classic fairy tale because what I'm going to do is have a conversation with you about common fairy tales and what we know about them. And I, I think that you're going to be just as blown away by this as I was. And I think it's going to be impactful and it's going to change the way that you think about the stories that you listen to and the stories that you watch and the stories that you share. It's going to make you more intentional about uh, what you consume through media, whether it's um, movies or music or um, YouTube or shorts. Um, and it's going to make you more considerate about the types of stories that you allow for uh, young people to listen to because you realize that stories have such a deep value and such a huge impact in us and they change the way that we think. And it's also the case that within stories we can find truths about the world. So uh, with that being said, I'm just going to get into this and I'm going to have a conversation with you. First and foremost, I'm going to start with a conversation about a fairy tale that we should all probably be familiar with in the Western world. Uh, that's the story tale of Sleeping Beauty. So in the fairy tale, a, a princess whom is adored by a king is put into a death-like trance fallen asleep by an evil witch. An impenetrable wall of thistles grows up around the princess's castle so it is to ensure that none can get in. And this is, and it's only restored, and things only go back to, no, to normal and are restored when in fulfillment with a prophecy, a prince comes and raises this princess from her death-like trance with a kiss of love. This is followed by a marriage feast and the declaration that they lived happily ever after. So let's break this down a little bit. I think you're going to be shocked because this is this is a story that we're probably all familiar with, but 
it's actually a story that if you've heard this before, um, I, I'd be interested to know whether or not you noticed that this is actually a Christian story, that this is a story that is perfectly affirmed by a Christian worldview. And let me break this down. The princess is the human race. The death-like trance is being fallen and unable to save ourselves, just as you and I are fallen in our sins and unable to save ourselves. The witch represents the devil because the devil wants to destroy the beauty of the human race. The witch wants to destroy the beauty of sleeping beauty. Um, the king is God the father who adores sleeping beauty, adores the princess. And the prince is a savior who is driven by love to overcome the wall of thistles and the barriers to reach the fallen princess. And then the prince's kiss is an act of love, which raises the princess back to life and to happiness evermore. If that's not the gospel message, I don't, I don't know what is. That's so clearly and so pointedly this amazing allegory that outlines the gospel message. Um, but the crazy thing is um, this isn't unique the reality is that stories like this are incredibly common. This is a classic archetype that many, many, many fairy tales follow. And people who've never heard of Christianity and have never heard of Snow White and have never heard of Disney and have never heard of Sleeping Beauty and have never heard of Mother Goose um, have stories that follow these archetypes. So um, let me, let's do one more. Um, let's do the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. In Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the plot is set into motion when a vain, wicked queen consults her magical mirror and learns that her beautiful stepdaughter, Snow White, is now the fairest in the land. Instantly resentful, the queen enlists a woodsman to murder Snow White, but he cannot commit to the act, and he exhorts her, he, he convinces her and persuades her to run away and escape. So she runs into the forest um, and gets lost. And in the forest, Snow White discovers a cottage that's inhabited by seven eccentric dwarfs who warmly welcome her into their home after she offers to cook and clean for them. The queen eventually learns that Snow White's whereabouts and disguises herself as a old hag to fatally poison her with a tainted apple. The heartbroken dwarfs stand guard over the girl's body until a handsome prince restores her to life with a kiss. So once again, Snow White represents the human race. The vain, wicked queen is the devil, and again, jealous of beauty and wants to destroy it. The woodsman is often considered to be a representation of the snake, because the woodsman's goal is to kill, uh, but all that the woodsman succeeds in doing is separating the Snow White from Paradise. The Snow White's not not physically dead, but has been separated from the kingdom, separated from Paradise. Um, so now Snow White is lost in the woods and far from the kingdom, um, similar to the way that you and I are lost in our sins and far from God. And the seven dwarfs are the seven deadly sins. Snow White, being far away from the kingdom, is now surrounded by the seven deadly sins, where sleepy is sloth, where grumpy is wrath, where dock is pride, happy is lust, bashful is gluttony, sneezy is envy, and um, dopey is greed. And you might be hearing this to say, no, 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 but Snow White and the dwarfs are friends. The, the, the dwarfs are incredibly friendly, and um, they, they want to help Snow White, and they even stand by her when she's in that death-like trance. Well, do your sins not stand by you while you're in your death-like trance? No, that's what that means. The reality is that we often do 
see our our sin nature as a friend of a type. But the reality is that being with the, those those quote unquote friends is p- part of what leads Snow White to her death-like trance from taking the poison apple. And then it's known in the story that the poison can be reversed if a true love were to make an act of love to come and kiss her. So the prince, again, the savior, travels into the darkness of the forest, comes into our world to find her and to bring her out. And then what does he do when she, when, when she awakes? He takes her out of the forest and away from the seven doors. The reality is that, and, and so I'm going to read something for you that's directly from um, Chris Hazen. Uh, he said that the names for the characters might be different, but the archetype, our archetypal roles that they play are the same. Are there certain basic criteria? Are there, are, are there certain basic Characters, themes, and stories built into all of us in some way, given that these stories show up in all cultures. Given the pervasive evidence, this appears to be the case. But an even more specific conclusion might be warranted. This is the beauty of it. These stories are the gospel. The basic gospel story itself might very well be imprinted on us at some sublevel of awareness. Because, see, that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel message, about the Christian faith. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his, uh, in his essay, uh, Myth Became Fact. Because one of the incredible things about Christianity, about Jesus Christ, is that these archetypes that are built into us, that show up in all of our stories, all over the world, in all different cultures, are a perfect painting of the gospel message which Christ lived out in history and in his life, in his manifestation, what we knew as myth, as this beautiful poetic art interpretation of reality, Christ made real. And so the the beauty in that is that as believers of Christ, we get to look at these archetypes and these stories and these narratives and we get to say, yes, that's a beautiful story, but the most beautiful part about that story is that it's not just a story. It is a story. It's also history and it's also a fact. And just as bride, just as Christ calls the church his bride, um, you and I are represented by the princess and Jesus Christ is the prince who went through the darkness and overcame all obstacles so that through an act of love, in the stories it's often a kiss, but in real life it was a death on the cross, that he could raise us up out of this death-like trance so that we could be with him in a marriage ceremony and live with him happily for the rest of our lives. And not even for the rest of our lives, happily ever after. So for the rest of eternity. And that's so beautiful. And when you realize that these stories can have these strong thematic structures to them and that they can impart these these lessons and these truths to us that are subconscious and we're not even aware of the impact while we watch them and are entertained by them, suddenly it becomes much more important to consider the stories and the narratives that you allow yourself to listen to on a daily basis. Um, you probably watched Snow White or um, Sleeping Beauty at some point in your life. 
And you probably don't go about watching it all the time. But you probably do consume stories on a very, very regular basis. You watch movies, you watch TV shows, you listen to music, you watch YouTube videos, you listen to shorts, and you all of these things will absolutely shape your perspective of reality. And so it becomes important to understand the archetypical themes. What's being said in the story? What is the lesson? Because every story, hear me on this, every story has a lesson. Not all of them are good. Often they're not intended by the author, but that doesn't mean they're not present. They could be subconscious or they could just be narrative structure. But every story has a lesson. And beautiful stories teach you about Jesus and they teach you about humanity and they teach you truth and they teach you how to live. And a lot of the stories in our culture today don't teach you any of that. They, they teach very bad habits. So it's important to be mindful of the stories that we take in and then recognize the beauty that is in these narratives. That's what I have for you guys this week. I love you so much. God bless. Hey, have you considered supporting us on Patreon? Right now, we've already met our first income goal and we're working towards our second one, which means that there's going to be a private training on things like this, but specifically around the concept of love. What is love, biblically speaking, and how do we learn love in our lives that's going to be for patrons only? And it's not going to be at any specific tier. We have tiers that you can pick from, but you could also choose to support us on a custom um, pledge of as little as $3 a month, and then you would get access to this private training that we're going to be putting together on a study of love, as well as being able to support an amazing ministry that's putting out content like this and making sure that we can continue to do this. So if you haven't yet, I'd invite you to prayfully consider supporting us through Patreon. I love you. God bless.